everyone, and welcome to another episode of the podcast. If my numbers are correct, this is going to be episode 11. I am here with Miss Megan Hargrave. Hello, everyone. Mr. TJ Malloy. How's everybody out there? Miss Lauren Bishop. Hello, everyone. And Miss Sarah Lanier making her podcast debut. Hello, everybody. And of course, I'm Aaliyah, and I'm your host. And it has been a while, folks. I have been very busy with school and other things going on in my life. And so uh, the podcast took a little hiatus for a few months while I got myself together. And now we are back. We are going to try to keep it on a monthly schedule. And I am going to probably have some co-hosts helping me make that happen. So... With that being said, we have a um, a bit of a news item before we get into our topic this month, and that is that the uh, is he the CEO or is he the president? He's the, he's the main guy at Guiding Eyes for the Blind. Um, ran a half marathon with not one, not two, but three dogs kind of staggered along the route. And so I wanted to kind of shed some light on this and not in the way that other people might think. So I... Okay. I think it's great that Guiding Eyes does a running program. I really do. But I think that this kind of thing isn't realistic. Because if... if a regular blind person wanted to run a marathon or a half marathon or whatever and guiding eyes thought they would need more than one dog how on earth would they make that happen for the regular blind person like that just seems weird to me i don't i don't know i feel like it it's great that it's been done but it's not realistic what's everybody else's thoughts on this i agree I... with you i mean we we think of our dogs as being bonded to us and and having that bond is one of the ways that, that our dogs work for us and one of the ways that we communicate best. So how would you bond with three or four or five different dogs, depending on how, the length of your race? How do you choose which dog you're going to work first? And how does all of that work? That just seems kind of questionable in my mind, that you would have a well-bonded team and that you would also be able to communicate well with each dog and then remember which dog's style is which while you're in the throes of all that running. I, I completely agree. Go ahead, Lauren. Um, I was also wondering, too, how realistic, you know, Guiding Eyes is in New York and I'm in Florida. So, I mean, that's kind of far away. If I were to run a marathon using a guide dog, which would be pretty cool. I might say, how would they realistically have three dogs to train with me in Florida since I obviously couldn't be in New York for the time it takes to train a marathon? And what happens on race day if something happens to one of the dogs? They get sick, they're hurt, you know, who knows? Yeah, I just think that this is more of a show than a practical thing. I think, you know, somebody, regular Joe, blind person, is going to have to either train their dog to have the endurance to run that long, 
or just use a running guide as far as a, a human guide. And so I don't, I don't know that this is a real realistic thing. And I'm not sure how much of a service it does to the blind community as a whole. I don't, I don't know. I'm, I'm very skeptical of this article in case you guys can't tell. Um, I feel like it's more like a publicity thing. Yeah. I feel like they're kind of showing off their partnership with Roughware. With this... Oh, that's yeah. the other news thing. We can kind of slide into this. Um, but I briefly mentioned it here with the, with Roughware's um, harness that they have made in partnership with Guiding Eyes and the running program. Um, does anybody else... TJ, do you have any thoughts on this? Yeah, um, I definitely see the long-term... The, practically, it seems very difficult to implicate or, or implement. Uh, you know, they would take you need a you need quite a bit of training to get used to working with all of those dogs. Um, I yeah, I definitely understand all of that. At the same time, need to know that it's something that could be done and that he was able to do. So I, I don't want to take away from his accomplishment, uh, but I would agree that as a practical matter it would be very difficult for for a lot of folks to pull off all right and so our next news story kind of goes into this roughware harness that has been available has everybody seen this um there's a big thing that roughware is announcing and they've been working on this for over a year now a new harness um yet there are some significant differences it is not leather it has one attachment point, and the handle is adjustable with a tool. Um, apparently a special tool that only schools are getting. Um, so you, as the end user, could not adjust it. Your school would adjust it for you, and that is it. Um, which, mm, implications. Anyway, but it it is $600, I think, what I'm seeing. Um, comes in a couple oh. colors and is not available to individual graduates. Not even if your school has agreed to partner with the program. You as the graduate cannot order it yourself. And if your school is not one of the ones who's decided to purchase these harnesses, you cannot buy it at all. Which means owner trainers cannot buy it. Roughwear's excuse is that they want to try to cut down on the fake service animal problem. My kind of response to that is what, who on the face of this planet or enough of them to cause a problem is going to buy a $600 harness to put on their dog just to bring it into public. There are a lot cheaper ways to get that done. Um, that's kind of my thoughts on it. And I, I'm, I'm frustrated. Um, this just, it feels like a, we're only going to partner with the schools, not the graduates thing. And I don't like that. Anybody else have any thoughts on this? Well, but if I go to a school, I get the harness that they issue anyway. So if my school, if my school's partnering with Roughware, then I suspect I'd be getting a Roughware harness, right? You would if, if your school decided to issue that. But here's the thing. For example, I have bought and use a harness from um, one of our sponsors of our show, um, Julie Johnson and her company on the go that has a removable handle. 
I use that harness exclusively when I travel. The Seeing Eye harness does not have a removable handle. And let me tell you, when I'm on an airplane and I pop that handle off, I don't have to take the entire harness body off. I can just take the handle off, put it next to me in between the window and the seat. And when I'm ready to get off the plane, all I have to do is snap that handle back on and we're ready to go. So that is a significant advantage to that harness. Um, I went to CSUN, the Assistive Technology Conference last week, and I exclusively used that harness. I did not even take my leather harness. And so, you know, it just, I feel like it's just, it's another thing that they're kind of forcing us to beg and plead with our schools for some sort of autonomy and choice. And I don't like that. Well, but that, that harness is still, um, that one's still available to you. I, I don't know. I don't know many blind folk, quite frankly, that will shell out $600 for, for a harness like that, even if it was available on an individual basis. You'd be surprised. There um, you know. are some people who will buy um, leather ones for that price. Now, do I think that I would necessarily buy the Roughwear harness right now? No. I think it's still got some kinks to be worked out, and I don't think it's the right thing. But I just don't know. I just feel like this wasn't based on accurate um, information. At least make... The, and I don't know, and, and forgive me, owner trainers, please, if I have stepped in it here. Um, I don't know if Roughware gives the pro purchase program access to owner trainers. Um, and that is a discount program available for working dog teams. And so, again, please forgive me if I'm stepping in it. And if this wouldn't help, um, please let us know. What if they gave the um, access to I, pro purchase members on, you know, to to be able to purchase that harness and to be able to have? Because what if what if they come out with other designs in the future? They make this decision. Maybe they're a lower cost, um, and they make this decision. Sarah, help me out here, or Megan, or Lauren. But if the, um, if the, I, yeah, I just don't understand if the if if the school's partnering with them. And they decide to issue them, I'm, and I'm and I decide I want to go to a school that has a rough wear harness. I go there and I get that harness when I graduate with my dog. I mean, I I don't, you know, and, and in that case, I'm getting it free of cost because the, the school has provided it. I don't understand. I can still go out after market and get other options if I if I want. Um, you know, maybe maybe the price point and the the limited distribution are two ways they're trying to crack down on the fake service dog issue. I don't know, you know, I don't, I don't know, I don't know enough about the, you know, about I the whole deal, but the, as we're he's sitting here, I don't, you know, I don't I think, really see the issue, especially if it's not something that you think would be appealing. So my thing is, what if your school doesn't choose to partner with them, but you still would like this harness? Say you're a hiker. You want to be able to extend the handle when you need it, when you need more um, to be a little further behind your dog or when you're climbing up a hill, and then you shorten it later. Um, there's a lot of reasons why, and, and 
I, I really think especially owner trainers are getting the, getting a bit of the, the short end of the stick here. And it's, you know, that that's tough. And, you know, there are some real ethical issues that I think Roughwear needs to iron out. And, you know, they claim they want the best for the handler. And I just don't see that happening right now. And, you know, yeah, it's expensive, but we should be able to purchase it if we would like to um, as as graduates, as, you know, the I understand, you know, maybe Roughwear calls and interviews the person wishing to purchase the harness about, you know, about their dog, about, uh, you know, about their guiding, about, you know, different things. Maybe that's a possibility. You know, I don't see them getting floods of orders from individuals, but I think there should be a much more fair way of assessing someone's ability to get this harness as opposed to whether or not they went to some school that partners. Right. I just, I, I can't go buy out, I can't go out and buy a school harness. You know, I can't go, no. I can't go out and buy a seeing eye harness or a Southeastern harness or a GEB harness or any but of those. It's, so. it, it is more because you can go, you can go out and buy a harness in that style without those logos, not from the school directly. No, but you can go out and buy a harness in that same style that, um, that will work for your dog. And the only, you know, one of the big reasons you can't is because it's got a school logo plastered all over it. And so, you know, that is, there's a big difference between that and something that hasn't been customized with a school logo just yet and just has the Roughwear logo on it. Yeah, I, I got a feeling that these schools start using them, their logos are going to be Well, sure, but we should, we should them, be able sure to buy that. them directly from the company. Like the schools do. Yeah, what do. if the school issued me black and I really wanted brown because I wanted it to match my shoes? Or blue. A lot of money to spend for artists to match your shoes. But. Certainly, but <laughs> hey, there are some people. Let me tell you. Exactly. There are some people. Um, does anybody else have thoughts on this? We've heard a lot from my big mouth and I, TJ. Go I ahead. just think that before I jumped on the I want the rough wear harness bandwagon, the, the fact that it only has one attachment point for the handle makes me kind of wonder what sort of feedback I'd actually get from my dog. Oh, yeah. I'm um, skeptical so about that, too. Be, before I jump on the I want one of these bandwagon, I would want to test it. I would want to compare it. I mean, if if I was at the school training with a new dog um, and they said, well, we've got these rough wear harnesses, so here you go, I would at least have the comparison of the traditional harness in my head to be able to compare to see if I'm getting adequate feedback. Because I know with my current guide, her moves around obstacles are pretty subtle. So if you aren't really engaged with her, you're going to miss it. Um, I'm not sure how that would translate into only one attachment point. Yeah. Also, one of the things I know a lot of people have expressed concerns about is being able to steady the dog. So for us at Seeing Eye, you know, when our dog is pulling too hard, moving too fast... A rocking motion in the harness handle, pushing it forward and drawing it back slowly while saying the word steady, will usually 
um, help to ease the pulling and kind of refocus the dog. And that is not possible with this new harness. So there are some definite things to consider, but I think Roughware has um, aligned themselves very strongly with the schools in this particular decision. And I don't know whether it's going to turn out in their favor in terms of how they're perceived by customers. My concern with schools adopting the Roughware harness is I would like to, you know, be able to choose between the two. I'm getting ready to go out and, you know, into the workforce, you know, fairly soon. And, you know, this is, should be a concern for every blind person. But if you're going to go to like a job interview or you're going to be representing your company or your place of work at like a convention or a corporate trip, you want to make sure that you're looking professional all around. And, you know, the seeing eye harness, it's beautifully made. It's a lot of work's gone into it. There's a lot like really nice leather and it looks professional. And it's something that I felt confident having my dog wear walking into a job interview or going into a banquet. And I just... And I understand it would kind of probably have to be a one or the other type of scenario, but if my dog's my main tool in the workforce, I need to have something that's professional and not necessarily athletic looking. Yeah, and again, this would be a situation where you would maybe want the opportunity to purchase the other one if you wanted that. And if you wanted it for when you were not trying to look as professional and the other... Um, let the and the traditional one for when you were at work that should be your prerogative certainly so we've kind of uh beaten this one to death um i want to move on to our main topic before we run out of time here and our main topic tonight is something that is near and dear to one of our participants hearts this evening and that is um bringing home a brand new dog and so whether you're a retrain or a brand new guide dog user, the process of coming home with your dog and introducing it into a new environment full of new people, new things, new smells, new everything is very stressful, not only for you, but for your dog also. And so we wanted to talk tonight about that and give you some basic tips and tricks. Always listen to your, to your school. Um, if they, you know, if they have told you something, obviously, you know, you want to, you want to listen to your school, but generally these are some things that have helped us as handlers to adjust to life with our new dogs. And so I want to start with that first flight. And in some cases you don't, um, some, some people don't fly. Some people take the bus, some people take a car ride. That first flight can be particularly stressful on you and your dog. So um, wanted to kind of share some tips and tricks with regard to especially that first flight. Um, you know, we've talked a lot on here about flying with our dogs and especially dealing with people. So I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna rehash those topics. That's definitely a whole entire show, but, um, which we have recorded and is in the archives. So, um, we want to discuss things like, um, dealing with that initial stress, um, dealing with uh, 
a dog maybe not knowing what an airplane is and feeling those weird things for the first time and how you cope with it. So, um, I'll start with an example. I brought... My current dog doesn't count. She's a really great flyer and she didn't have any trouble on, on our flight back from seeing eyes. She just curled up and chilled out and went, okay, next. Um... And I'm a terrible flyer. I'm a very anxious flyer. And my first dog, bringing him home, was very hard because he picked up on emotions. And that's one thing to, you know, really stress is that dogs pick up on emotions. And anything you feel is going straight down that leash to your dog. And so you need to try to stay as calm as possible. Um, as one of my trainers always told me, fake it till you make it. Um... <laughs> And, you know, try to, sometimes even petting your dog, not only it help, it does it help you, but it helps the dog, too, to reassure them that everything's going to be okay. And, you know, one, one big stress point on the dog uh, is, you know, you can, you can help relieve their stress by gently pulling out on their ears, putting their ear between your thumb and your next two fingers, and gently um, massaging outward on the dog's ears that will help de-stress them. Does anybody have any other, I don't want to monopolize this conversation, but any other thoughts on um, that initial flight with your dogs? I've made four of those initial flights. And I think the biggest piece of advice that I would give is let your seatmates, if you have any, be aware that this is your dog's first flight and yeah. you know how to handle your dog. Um, because not only will that keep you more calm if, if they know that you know how to handle it and you need to be the one that handles it, but they that kind of lets them know to sort of ignore what's going on in, in you and your dog's space. And also, expect the unexpected. <laughs> um, be prepared. You know, don't don't flip out if something weird happens. Like, uh, for example, I've never had a dog fly like this before, but with my current guide, we got up in the air after takeoff, and all of a sudden she pops out from under the seat, turns around, sticks her head under, goes as far under as she can, and lays down. Dallas did that. <laughs> Dallas did that when we landed. <laughs> weird dog. <laughs> And so I just know she's going to turn around and she's not going to do it right at first. She's going to wait until the most uncomfortable part of the <laughs> process to turn around. <laughs> and she, she does it in too. cars. She does it no matter what mode of transportation we're on. So I just, that comes with knowing your dog. But on that initial flight, just expect the unexpected. I mean, just don't, don't stress over it. It's, it's not stress worthy. And you're, you got to remember that your dog has just left everything it ever knew. And the only thing it knows is you. And sometimes that's a scary thought in and of itself. But you've got to, like Aaliyah said, you've got to remain as calm as possible. And for some of us, that's not easy when we're a bundle of nerves ourselves. Because we know as soon as we land, there's going to be people that are, oh, that's your new dog. That's so great. And oh, wow, you're, that dog's not as good as your other dog, and you're going to have to face all of that. So, Ugh, just, Certainly. You know, try, to keep it, try to keep it calm and, and relaxing. Yeah. Um, one I've of my favorite things... One thing to say. Yeah. 
Go ahead, Megan. Sorry, Leah. No, no worries. So just to add on a little bit of what Sarah and Aaliyah have said, yes, expect the unexpected, but also have your expectations really low for that first flight. If that dog needs to pop up and just sit there, let them do it. Yeah, get them settled again, but don't coddle them, uh, you know, just comfort them if they need it, but don't have extremely high expectations. Okay, you need to lay down this whole flight, you know, you can't move, you know? <sighs> so, right. Uh, it's... That's just a tip for me. Yeah, for sure. And it's very stressful on these dogs, you know, that this this is not only stressful for you, it's stressful for them. And so my philosophy is, especially with a first flight, and even now when I fly with my dog, if the dog needs to sit up, that's fine. If the dog stands up, that's not fine. That doesn't... Um, Dallas used to, after takeoff, stand up and try to charge out into the aisle. Um, so I actually, if there was a family with a child next to me, I would let them know what was going to happen and ask them if they would rather move because he would sometimes try to put his paws in somebody's lap to get out in the aisle. Um, he, he settled this as he got older, but he had this thing for a while where that's what he did. And then he would be fine. If once you got him back and laid down, he was fine for the rest of the flight. But it was just something that he did. And he's also the dog that got away from me when I fell asleep on a Greyhound bus and walked from the back of the vehicle all the way to the front. Um, and someone brought oh, him boy. back to me and said, here's your dog. And I said, oh my god. Um, I think that was when he slipped out of his harness, too. That was a little rough. Um... <sighs> Yeah, little monster. <laughs> he could not be bothered to lay still. But um but you know, it's just it's it's hard for them. And your ears pop and their ears definitely pop. So one of the favorite one of my favorite things that seeing I used to do um and did with 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 me and Dallas is that um they did not do this with Whitley and me and that was I was very sad about this. They gave us these little emergency packets and they had Hi, honey. That's enough. Um, they had, uh, gosh, what did they have? They had milk bones, milk bones paper, paper towels, towels wipes, bags. and pickup bags in them. Yep. Little Ziploc baggies, they and we got two or three. Yeah, um, I, I guess I went home unprepared in my Whitley class because I didn't get those. Um. So with this pack that I got uh, coming home, because I am the one who has just come home with a brand new dog. Uh, it had like a one of those pee pad things, some paper towels, some poop bags, and some milk bones in it, in a Ziploc sandwich bag. Yeah, and the thing with the milk bones is that you can break them in thirds, and you can, or halves, or halves even. But um, I used to break them in thirds, and you could feed them to your dog during takeoff and landing when the stewardesses or flight attendants, rather, are not available and um, can't get you ice chips. So those will very much help unless your dog is like a total sharky and swallows everything. Um, they will help. And even if they do, that's still going to help them pop their ears. 
but it's 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 a huge benefit to the dogs and especially if you have fasted your dog which i strongly recommend especially on first flights because you don't know how they're going to behave um you want to fast them so there's nothing in that tummy that's going to come out in the airplane um one way or to other and so <laughs> it's fun not i thankfully have never had a dog go on a plane but yeah but Go ahead, Sarah. One other thought on that. Don't pack your dog's food in your checked bag. No. When you're packing no. to leave, because you want to make sure that you have at least one, if not two meals. A, if your luggage doesn't make it and you haven't had a chance to get food at your home. And B, if your flight gets delayed to the point yep. that your dog would miss its next meal. Because... You want to try to keep that dog on as normal of a relief schedule for the first two or three days that you're at home before you start trying to make changes to it, just to help them with the stress of everything. Yeah, I always keep three meals in my carry-on bag, um, in yeah, small in quart ziplocs or sandwich bags two or, or whatever. Um, I I've started carrying three after the Christmas trip home from you know where where my flight was delayed to the point where I actually had to rebook and they put me in a hotel. I needed a night food and a morning food and then I had nothing left in my carry-on if we had gotten delayed again. And so I started carrying at least three if not four baggies of food to make sure that I had Plenty. Luckily, they were able to get my suitcase for me, but I didn't have any more individual servings of food wrapped up. So it was harder for me to repack my carry-on like it should have been. But they were able to pull my suitcase off the plane, and I stayed in a hotel in Austin and flew out the next day. But yeah, I now will not carry any less than three or four bags. And so, um, let's see. We haven't heard from Lauren or TJ on this particular subject. One thing that seeing eye does that's nice, and I think other schools do it, is they'll have an instructor go to the gate with you. Yeah, and that's really nice. I think that um, is a really good opportunity to relieve some of the stress of flying. Um, when I flew the first time with my dog, I was a nervous wreck and thought that everything was going to go to pieces as soon as this instructor left. So having them all the way up to boarding was really nice. And they were also there to kind of help out with the United Airlines computer fiasco that happened on the day of my flight. So it made it a lot easier to have them with us. Yeah, and um, my first class, actually, my trainer, they let my trainer walk onto the plane with me, which was very much unheard of. Um, It was a United flight, and they let my trainer walk on the plane with me and help me get my dog settled because I was very nervous. And because I pre-boarded, they let her walk down and help me get him settled, and then uh, she left. But usually that doesn't happen. Um, we We got really lucky. And so I think because they know in that particular airport that seeing eye trainers are all over the place, new dogs and new people. But, um, you know, it, it was very nice um, to get 
to get some help getting him getting him tucked under and getting him settled down. But uh, yeah, so TJ, do you have any thoughts on this? I know most of your travel has been local, but not all of it. Yeah, I, I've done a couple. I've done a couple first flights, uh, kind of along with what Lauren was saying. Uh, Southeastern, they also go to the gate with you. And one of the things that they recommended at Southeastern, if you if you have the opportunity, uh, which I did because I had the instructor there, heal them and go sighted guide through, especially if it seems like the dog is a little is is a little more extra stressed out than usual. Um, that way, at least for a short period of time, they don't have that stress of having to work through and you can just, you know, you can just heal them through and it's kind of a easier way for you both to, to work through that. Um, that was, that was pretty helpful for me with, uh, with the first flight, the storm that I had from Southeastern. So, but everything else I think has been touched on quite well. All right. So let's talk about in, in the house when you get home and we're going to talk about this and then we're going to talk about dealing with people. Um, is going to be our last overarching topic here. And so in the house, when you when you get a brand new dog home, even if it's your ninth dog, one of the things that I always say is puppy-proof your house. Put things up that you don't want chewed. Um, close trash can lids. Um, put them out of reach. Uh Close the toilet. Close the toilet seat. Yep. Yep. Yes. Yep. Yep. Um, pick up your socks off the floor, your shoes, everything that could be grabbed. Put it away. Because while in the end you want the dog to be trustworthy in the house with whatever you throw at it, which is great for my house right now, um, the... At first, the dog's stress can cause it to chew things. Um, the dog's stress can cause it to jump on counters, get in garbage cans, drink out of toilets. Um, there are a lot of behaviors that you might see when you bring a dog home that you have never seen in the couple weeks that you've had the dog in, in school. And so, along with that, one of the things that I have found the, the most helpful is to keep the dog on the leash with you for, at the very least, the first week and a half. At the very least. And that's if your dog is a stinking angel like mine was, and I was like, she is not going to do a thing, and I was right. Um, I let her off the leash, she laid down on my feet and went, okay, sleep time. Um, so, it it depends on the dog, but definitely... You know, start with keeping the dog on the leash. Put, and when you do start to let the dog off the leash, put limits on that time. Maybe five minutes and in only one room. And the dog, in my, in my house, my dog earns my trust and my dog earns its freedom. And slowly over time, you, you start with one room, you expand, and you're always watching that dog. Um, bells are very helpful for this, um, and it takes a good couple of months to really know whether or not your dog is trustworthy in your house and to start really cementing any positive behaviors and correcting negative ones. Um, does anybody else have uh, thoughts on this? Get a I'm... crate. Yeah. If you can, 
because there are going to be times like when you're cooking or when you need to go take care of things and it's not going to be convenient or possible to have your dog with you. You want to have the dog know where its place is and you also want the dog to be safe because, you know, you can't predict what life is going to throw at you when um, you come home and you could have an emergency. Your kid could have an emergency. And you need to run off to the doctor or something like that. and Or, you know, you might just need a crate. Tie downs so I would definitely also get one. Work. Tie downs with a bed also work with the understanding that if your dog has a chain collar, never, ever clip the tie down to the live ring of the collar. And for those who are not aware, the live ring is the ring that the leash attaches to that gives the correction. Um, the dead ring is what the chain feeds through um, and makes the collar a ring itself. So the, uh, especially when your dog is unsupervised, um, if the dog were to pull and the tie down were attached to the live ring, the dog could choke itself to death. Um, and that is a very serious risk. So please, 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 if you are using a tie-down, use the dead ring of the collar or get a flat collar. Because it is a very serious risk to your dog. But a tie-down and a bed are very reasonable if you don't have the space for a crate. Um, even a tie-down and a small mat. It doesn't have to be a huge bed or anything crazy like that. You know, it can be a tie-down, and a small mat. So, you know, establishing a, a, the dog's place where it can go to stay out of the way and to not be in trouble is, is very good. And while establishing that, you never, ever want to use the crate or the tie-down as a punishment. Um, you don't want these, these things to be a negative thing for your dog because you want somewhere where the dog can feel at ease and, and relaxed. Um, I think, Sarah, you had some thoughts. I do. Um, I would want to go back to what you were saying about keeping the dog on the leash for the first week and a half, two weeks. If you live with other people, and, and I can say this because I've experienced both ways. I had roommates and I lived with my parents when I got my first two dogs, and then I lived by myself when I got my third and fourth dogs and my fifth dog for the first uh, three months or so I lived by myself. Um, but if you, if you live with, with other people, I think you need to keep your dog attached to you at least two and a half weeks. Agreed. Because those other people are going to have some say in what you do, whether you, give them that permission or whether it's your parents and you just naturally obey what your parents tell you. Um, your dogs will pick up on that hierarchy of authority. And some people like my sister are just dog magnets. And if you are not a dog magnet and someone you live with is a dog magnet, you don't want your dog whose bond with you is tenuous at best at this point because you've just come home from training. You don't want your dog to start associating really good, happy stuff with that person 
because you want your dog to associate that with you. And it's just really critical, in my opinion, to to make sure you do that. And also to make sure that you're watching your dog, especially when you're playing with your dog. Check those toys. You know, make sure that you remember what is a supervised toy and what is not a supervised toy. And don't don't overdo all the new stuff at once. I mean, you know, keep it keep it chill in the house. Don't don't think because you just came home your dog's got to have 15 toys at one time. Your your dog may not be ready for 15 toy options at one time. <laughs> My dog's still not ready for 15 toy options at once. She gets overwhelmed. Um <laughs> That's <laughs> what I mean. As evidenced by the point, if you put her milk crates, she has two milk crates almost full of toys, on the ground, she will pull them all out, put them in a pile, and then lay down and look at them like, I don't know what to do. Um, <laughs> she, she can't cope. Um, <laughs> she just can't cope. So, yeah. It, it, yeah. And I've had her for almost three years. So that's still a thing. TJ? Yeah, I think the big thing, the uh, the end of training is not the end of the journey. Um, in just about every respect, when you get home, you're you're starting from scratch all over again. So all those things that you did to to start to establish a bond in school, you, you keep doing those things. Um, and I really like the the puppy proofing. It's a good thing to, to continue um to keep that going a it helps keep your own house a little more organized and b you if you if you puppy proofed it then you know that you're not going to have to worry about that and possibly getting into something you know once you are able to trust them to have a little more for your own so um but you know when you realize that you're starting from scratch it kind of helps give more understanding as to as to why why you're doing what you're doing with the with the leash and everything and if there are other dogs in the house, if you if you live in a house with other people and other dogs, try to get them to also have their dogs on leashes because it gets very confusing for the dog when you know the other pet dogs are off leash but yours is not. It makes it it makes it makes obedience and control uh, a lot tougher. So um, we maybe haven't gotten to that part yet, but uh, with the other animals dynamic, but. That's another good thing to do. Um, you know, if you have all of them on leash in the house, then that will help keep things a little more harmonious. Aaliyah, can I add one more thing? Mm-hmm. So, you know, when you get a new dog, you're trying really hard to keep that dog working like you were working at, at school. So you're taking a couple trips. Give yourself an extra 10, 15 minutes from what it normally takes you to make that trip. So that you're not stressed over, oh my gosh, I've got class at 8 o'clock and, well, with my my previous dog, I could leave at 7.45 and I could make it to that class with no problem. And I left at 7.45 and it's 8.05 and I'm still, like, way away from my building. What's going on? Because you want to keep those first few trips as positive as you can. And you want to make them positive experiences and... Your dog may not know all the little nuances, and you may have forgotten some of the little nuances that your previous dog just naturally did. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, so build some extra time Absolutely. into your travel schedule, and always have a pickup bag with you. 
Yeah, definitely. Or two or three. Because let or me tell you well. that the, yeah, well, or a whole roll. <laughs> <laughs> um, that first uh, few weeks can be a little digestively unpredictable. Um, yeah, they're, they're a little, not only are they stressed, but so is their tummy usually. So beware, be very aware. Sorry, you're stressed too. Yeah. Um, Megan, you've, uh, you're, uh, experiencing this right now. Do you have any thoughts? So once you actually get the dog home, one of the key things is to keep your expectations low for the first little bit. Uh, they're startled. They have no idea what's happening. You can't explain it to them. You know, you know, this is our home now. You can't explain that to them. I mean, we, everybody has their own expectations when you go home and whatnot. Um, but at least for the first day, in my personal experience, at least for the first two, well, day or two, maybe three, depending on your dog. Um, all dogs are different. All dogs handle the stress differently. Um, just let them chill. You know, don't do anything like real stressful because there are dogs already under enough stress. So don't go um, do like a huge trip if you don't absolutely have to. Just take it easy with them. Play with them lots. Let them sleep if they want to sleep because that's how they work off the stress. Those are just some little pointers that I have from my personal experience those last few days. My experience, the dog wants to play, play with them. Because that not only does that de-stress them, that also will continue your bond, your bonding period. So those are just a couple little tidbits for me. All right, and our final category that we're going to cover tonight is dealing with other people and other animals. So focusing on people, because we've kind of touched on reactions and interactions with other animals, which should be definitely kept to a minimum at first. Um, if you have another dog in your household, try to introduce the two dogs on neutral ground. Uh, do not bring your brand new dog into the house with a well-established dog still in it. That is very bad. It is a recipe for territory problems and very bad disagreements. Try to get the dogs to meet at the end of a driveway, at the on the sidewalk, somewhere uh, across the street, anywhere that's not home turf to the other dog. You want that introduction to be as smooth as possible and so that the dogs will be getting along. And sometimes things, introductions don't go well. And sometimes you're going to have to really monitor the dogs until they get a system worked out and a hierarchy worked out. Because some dogs, like mine, are very dominant and she wants to be top dog uh, in she has to work out with another dog where she is on that ladder before she's really happy. And so some things may sound worse than they are, but I would very much encourage you to try to keep an eye on the body language of both dogs. Um, 
what you're hearing and what, you know, if you can, what you're seeing. If not, that's, that's still okay. Um, but keeping an eye on the dynamics between the two dogs is very important. Um, and not, not only for that first greeting, but for the first little while after, I would suggest that. Yeah. Absolutely. You want to make sure Even that... Even if they're, if they're immediate best friends, I would still watch things. Because things with little subtle things that that us humans don't even notice might ha- might occur. Yep. yep. Like, and... the dog makes a funny face at the other, you know? And the other <laughs> one doesn't like that. Yeah. It, it can get... It can get interesting. So, you know, if... For example... You know, the if if a couple of weeks have passed and and your dog is now fully trusted in the house and you're letting them off leash or letting the two dogs interact, that's fine. But keeping an eye on it for a while and making sure that it goes well and continues to go well is is critical. Now, unfortunately, people can be harder to deal with than dogs. Um, <clears throat> I have some personal experience with this, and. Mm-hmm. One of my biggest things about bringing a brand new dog home is that nobody is allowed to interact for a long period of time with my dog for at least the first couple of months. In those, and it it sounds harsh, but in those first couple of months, that dog is to be focused on me and that dog needs to understand that I am the one to be bonded with. And that needs to take place first. I'm not saying that nobody can ever interact with your dog within those first couple of months, but it needs to be short sessions and you are always in charge. If you call the dog to come, the dog should come. If it doesn't, the play session stops immediately. And that is one of my hard and fast rules. And is it is one that I expect everybody around me to respect. And it's hard to deal with people because they think that this new dog should immediately be your old dog if you are coming back with a with a second or third or whatever guide dog. Um, they think they think the dog should be identical. They think that this new dog should be perfect. And it's hard emotionally for you because you know that you have spent the last however many weeks trying not to compare the two and then somebody wants you wants to do that and that's very hard so you know take time for yourself and your dog just to bond and when you bring a brand new dog home it's not time to throw a welcome home party introduce the people that you are closest to slowly over time and in small groups. It's not time to throw a huge celebration. Um, I'm gonna <clears throat> let others comment on these kinds of things as well. I think one thing you need to know when you bring a dog home is that you've been in a situation for the past two weeks or more where every single person in your life that's interacted with you personally knows the rules, knows why you're there, and that the only purpose for you being at school is to train with and bond with your dog. When you come home, people, it's a natural tendency 
that when they see a dog, they're going to come unglued and dive in its face and try to pet it. And you as a handler have two choices. You can either let it go and let your family get involved with your dog and realize that there's going to be consequences or you can learn to stand up for yourself really quick. And if you really want to to have a solid relationship with your dog, you're going to learn how to stand up for yourself really, really fast. Because you're going to have to be the one that says, no, you're not petting my dog. I'm going to correct my dog if my dog's in trouble with the methods that were taught by my school. And I'm going to use the schedule that I feel is right. And we're going to work off the one starting from school. And that's what's going to get you set up for success is to really have that thick skin and be willing to put in the elbow grease in that relationship. And also there's going to be adjustment surprises. I didn't realize my dog was going to be dog distracted when I brought her home, but she was, and it was hard to deal with, but you know, we worked our butts off for a long time to get her distractions to a point that was manageable and had I let my family take over in that situation and that dog would have been done in the first month and that's just how it is I would say to add to what Lauren has said um, don't let your family be the ones to handle your access issues because if you're coming home with your first dog and you're coming home to a new environment uh, or, or you're coming home to your town for the first time and you, you're not coming with a successor dog, you're going to have some access issues. Don't let your family be the one to jump in and fight that battle. You need to advocate for yourself. Um, because a lot of times, uh, especially with my family, I have a cooler head than they do when it comes to those sorts of things. Um, but my, my real advice here is to make sure that while you're in class, you've worked out an answer to the question of, well, that dog's not as trained as your first dog was, is it? Because you're going to get asked that, especially if you have to work on a clearance obstacle, especially if you have to pattern your dog to a specific point. Um, number one, you may have forgotten how much work goes into that because your previous dog just did it so well. And number two, people forget seeing you work that out with your first dog and so they're seeing you repeat the same stretch of sidewalk about 20 times in a row and number one that makes them want to step in and help you because they think you're lost or number two they think it's just terrible that you have to teach that to the dog they don't understand that the dog is loving every second of that um, so just be prepared that you may have to explain a few training techniques and, and come across as confident that you've got this. You may need their help occasionally to point out poles and things in the beginning so that you can attach your target to it. But in the end, you, you've got it. And don't, don't be afraid to, to speak up for yourself and for your dog because in the end, that's what's going to keep you guys as a working team. Does anybody have any final thoughts before we get wrapped up here? If you run into a problem, even if you've only been home for 48 hours, 
don't hesitate to call your school. Right. Because it's better to nip a problem in the bud before it gets to be a huge deal. And they're there to help you. So even if something comes up and you just, maybe you just don't remember what you're supposed to do, before you have a complete meltdown and freak out moment, pick the phone up and call the school. Also, I just want to uh, point out quickly that, yeah, you may, if you may have had a perfect time in class, wherever, whatever, whatever, whatever school you've gone to, but it's not going to be perfect if you're a first-time handler, I'm speaking to you especially. It is not going to be perfect the whole way. If it is, that is extremely rare and like slim to none, but problems come up, be consistent with what you want the dog to do. Uh, I, I've especially learned this the last few weeks with my dog because we had and still are having a lot of uh, issues with certain certain behaviors that I don't want. Um, and I've noticed a dramatic improvement in the last couple of weeks with my consistency. So uh, seeing eyes says um, consistency is key and it truly is. So stay consistent with your dogs, people. And don't forget to praise them. Oh yes, don't forget to praise. All right, so we are gonna wrap up by giving everybody's contact info here. Um, Megan, where can people find you online? People can find me online, producing content for iAccessibility. You can email me at Megan, that is M-E-A-G-H-A-N, at iAccessibility.net. You can also follow me on Twitter at MeganH13. All right, and TJ, what about you? You can find me on Twitter, although I'm a reader, I'm not much of a poster, at blindguy234. And you can email me at tmalloy, that's M-E-L-O-Y-83, at iCloud.com. And Lauren, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at LaurenBishop9. You can find me on Facebook at LaurenBishop. And you can email me at LaurenAlexis96 at gmail.com. And Sarah, your turn can find me on twitter at bioinstructor and um you can email me at sarah at iaccessibility.net Ooh, shiny you can find me <laughs> Aaliyah, producing content for iaccessibility you can email me at Aaliyah, that's a-l-e-e-h-a at iaccessibility.net and you can follow me on twitter at blindcowgirl199 that's going to do it for this episode of the podcast. Don't forget, you can send us an email at podcast at iaccessibility.net and you can find us on Twitter at podcast underscore show. You're going to hear all of iAccessibility's contact information in our outro, so stay tuned for that. Thank you so much for listening, and we're going to see you next month. Bye, everyone. Bye, Bye everybody. Bye, everybody. This show has been brought to you by the IACast Network. We love hearing from you. Email us at feedback at iaccessibility.net. Got Twitter? Follow us at iAccessibility1. Facebook? Search for iAccessibility. Download our free apps for iOS and Android. And keep up with all of our content at iAccessibility.net. If you'd like to donate to our show, hit the PayPal button on our website. Get early access to our outtakes with a donation at patreon.com slash iacast. Thanks for listening.